Welcome to the Parenting Podcast, where we explore the interaction between family, culture, and faith on behalf of young people. I'm Dr. Chap Clark, and this is Parenting. In our podcast, we explore a wide variety of issues that ultimately relate to the thriving and health and flourishing of young people, whether they're children or teenagers or young adults. How do we as a society, as a culture, as parents, as people who work with kids, uh, teachers, therapists, I mean, just all of us, how do we understand the various factors that come into play as we care for our kids? This particular September 2022, as we focus on suicide prevention, um, is especially important for us to take a look at, to take some time to, to explore and to understand a little more clearly. When I was first a senior pastor a few years ago, I uh, was in the pulpit for two weeks in Southern California, and after two weeks we had a horrific suicide in our community. I won't go into detail, but it rocked everybody. And the school districts and the churches and the community itself all banded together to try to ask questions related to how, how could we have missed this? And we did. Everybody did miss this. Over the course of time, I have been giving a lot more time to an effort to try to understand what are people saying about suicide prevention, suicide ideation, and all of the related issues um, where I'm not an expert for sure, but what I do bring to the table in Parenting Podcasts is that I work hard at trying to read what other people say and to try to bring different bits of data and different perspectives together. Um, and as we do, I'm just going to open up with a quote from David Brooks on July 30th of last year, 2021, where he said this, Terrible trends are everywhere. Major depression rates among youth Age 12 to 17 rose by almost 63%, that's two-thirds, between 2013 and 2016. American suicide rates increased by 33% between 1999 and 2019. All this is before the pandemic. The percentage of Americans who say they have no close friends has quadrupled since 1990. 54% of Americans report sometimes are always feeling that no one knows them well. This is not just true of adults, but it is even more true for young people. The two greatest risk populations in our culture today are teenagers and young adults and middle-aged men. Uh, the middle-aged men is a significant issue, obviously, but we're not going to take time for that in our parenting podcast. But to focus on young people and understand um, that we need to be more aware, more uh, adept at seeing the signs, and know what it is we do, what it is we contribute to to help young people move through depression and anxiety especially the kind that goes so deep and dark that it drives them to consider suicide. Um, so I want to do two things. First is just talk about uh, the data that's out there and, and not maybe 
the stuff you've heard before, the obvious things, but there's, there's a little more data that has emerged the last year or two. And here's one is usually suicide attempts and suicide is associated with some level of mental disorder. Now, granted, that is a very, very big bucket, but there are, there are mental health issues that come into play with most suicide ideation attempts and even suicide itself. Even if we have missed it, there, there are signs for many times there are signs. So in other words, on that one, it just means that when there are signs, we need to take them seriously. That, that's become more and more obvious the last few years. But with the exponential rise in depression, anxiety, loneliness, isolation, failure, all the things we talk about here on Parenting, um, now we need to be uh, more alert to the various signs. And, and the second thing is, I, I, I think it's important for all of us to realize that there's a lot of pseudoscience out there, a lot of opinions out there, and the science is not well-developed, although a lot of folks are spending a lot of time trying to understand more and more of what factors come into play. Research has shown uh, that is very strong and compelling that lets us know that there are three consistent key components to suicide. The first is that there's an acquired ability to enact lethal self-injury. In other words, the person has access um, to be able to follow through with an ideation, with a desire, with a with such a deep struggle that they choose to actually commit suicide. So they have somehow figured out a way that they're going to accomplish this. That's the first thing. Secondly, there's a sense of thwarted belongingness is what the research shows. That we've talked about in parenting, the three major keys for growing up, for being a healthy adult, a flourishing adult. And one of those is a sense of belonging, that people care. And I am part of their community. I matter in their community. And when I lose a sense of belonging, when I don't believe that I am actually part of something bigger than myself, when I'm finding myself more and more isolated, coming out of the pandemic, that is a huge issue for so many young people, is recognizing that I, I do belong to embrace the places and the people that do encourage me and um, affirm that I am part of them. But the more I feel that I am cut off, the more I feel isolated, and every attempt to try to connect seems to drive me further from others. And it may not be true from anybody else's perspective, but the one who is dealing with the isolation and anxiety and depression, it's from their perspective that they've tried and tried, but nobody seems to get them or understands them. They don't feel part of anything. So the first, the acquired ability to enact lethal self-injury, that they figured out how to do it, they have access. And secondly, not only do they not feel like they belong, but they feel like their attempts to belong have been thwarted. And that leads to the third, is a perception that they're burdens. 
a deep sense of incompetence or ineffectiveness, that nobody believes I'm worthy of being loved, that nobody believes I'm worthy of being a part of their lives, that um, I'm a burden on others, not a gift or a blessing. Again, we've talked about these three elements of what does it mean to thrive and to grow. The first is identity. Who am I as a unique person? Secondly, is what kind of purpose I have. And I, I talked about it in that podcast. You can look back on it on autonomy. Is I have to believe that I actually bring something to the table. And so many young people today believe that they are uh, actually a burden that they don't really feel like they contribute. They may be a great athlete or a great student or very funny or really competent um, mu musically. There's a lot of ways that other people could say, no, 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 that's not you. You have a lot of gifts. We sure appreciate you and your gifts. But again, all three of these, the uh, acquired ability to actually fulfill their uh, decision to commit suicide and Secondly, their thwarted sense of belonging. And thirdly, that, that kind of a deep sense of ineffectiveness and incompetence. This is all from the perspective of the young person. And so the previous podcasts we've had on those three key elements do come into play here. But in terms of suicide prevention and in, in, in terms of this month, every adult at every level, teacher, counselor, neighbor, grandparent, youth worker, obviously parents, step-parents, half-parents, um, uh, anybody that is involved in the life of a young person, coach for sure. Uh, these are three consistent components that seem to be at the heart of the research we have so far. So this is the month where we pay attention, but obviously it's not limited to this month. So I want to just leave you with five strategies that have emerged from the data that we have so far. Five strategies for us to be aware of and to uh, contribute to the help of a young person who is moving down this path. Now, again, with these five strategies, they do overlap with what I've talked about before on Parenting Podcasts, and they are not just good old chap Clark's ideas. These come from a wide variety of sources as different folks from different perspectives have come together to try to ask these hard questions. What are our best strategies to help young people, especially those who are dealing with a deep sense of depression or a uh, lack of belonging or isolation or any of a number of, of things? And I would really encourage you to take a look at our website, chapclark.com and take a look at the resources we have available there. But here are the five strategies. Number one is um, it's okay and it's important that we acknowledge, uh, express pain or violence or cultural incongruity. That we don't just pretend like these things are not taking place. A young person that feels like they're in pain that they're participating in, in pain, if they're uh, recipients of violence or even perpetrators of violence, if there's a sense of cultural incongruity, meaning 
they're just not fitting in at school anymore, or they dropped out of the sport that they love so much. Um, but there's so many other things that can come into play. Our role is to acknowledge these changes, acknowledge these uh, movements in a young person's life, and not try to dismiss it or talk them out of it, but to um, make sure they know that somebody cares enough to recognize that something's going on. That's first. And that's always true, by the way. Uh, the second is related to it then, is adults must cultivate an authentic presence in the lives of kids. If you, you're struggling with a thwarted sense of belonging and a perceived burdensomeness, that really means that you wonder if does anybody come alongside of you and understand you or care at all. To cultivate an authentic presence doesn't take a huge amount of time depending on your role. Obviously with parents, it does take time. Grandparents, what a beautiful way for you to come into the lives of your grandkids. And this is not just with kids facing depression that we can see, it's for all of them. Um, but a, a youth worker, it's not just the number of kids that come to your events or in your small group. It's not to text them when they don't show up but it's to make sure that we cultivate our true and real presence with anyone that we're charged with to care for. Coaches, your job is not, your job is not to coach a team. Your job is to facilitate the thriving of a young person. And you use the tool of coaching a team to help that young person become a healthy, flourishing human being. All of our roles in society at any level, are to participate in the helping of a young person become a thriving, flourishing adult. So cultivating an authentic presence that goes beyond the dictates of the role, whether we're a teacher, a coach, a youth worker, parent, a neighbor, grandparent, whatever. And that leads us to the third thing, is um, train, not shame. Train not shame is really important in terms of a strategy because young people already feel like that they must perform their way into blessing. And they already feel like they are one bad decision or one stupid mistake from um, losing their sense of belonging. When they feel like a, they have a deep sense of incompetence or ineffectiveness and we are the adult in their lives, we really have a choice. Walter Wangren writes about this in a really beautiful book a long time ago, um, where he says, every person you meet is an opportunity. You will do one of two things then. You will either lift them up or you will tear them down. One of two things will always happen in any human interaction. You will either be a blessing or a curse. No human interaction is neutral. Young people are so desperate for the blessing, the gentle training, the, the caring presence that helps them to know how to move their life forward, whether it's a math problem or whether they want to run the right route in a football play, whether they play an instrument well, whether they treated somebody poorly, do we shame them? and contribute to their sense of lostness and incompetence. 
Or do we train them, help them, walk with them, listen to them? That's the third one, train, not shame. Four, continue always to foster a sense of purpose. We talked about this with the Autonomy Podcast, that yes, purpose is hugely important to the thriving adult. To a flourishing human being, I must have a sense that I'm connected to something larger than myself, and that has compelled me, that compels me to move in the direction that will contribute to the greater good. And if I don't feel like I've got anything to bring to the table, that's why I talk so much about autonomy, that I believe I have power, I believe that I have significance, I have competence, I can be an effective force for good, and I connect that to my sense of purpose. So helping every single young person feel like that they are a contributor, that they're an agent of good. Now, a lot of people feel like Maybe we just ought to do that through mentoring. I'm going to talk about that in a future podcast. Watch for the mentoring podcast. Because I, I think that easily can slip into shaming, into controlling, into hierarchy and power dynamics that actually do the opposite of what we're talking about. To foster a sense of purpose is to elicit from someone else their ability to contribute. And that is a hugely important thing when somebody's feeling disconnected, deeply depressed, isolated, and incompetent. Foster a sense of purpose. And lastly, instill hope. To make sure that every young person knows that there is good and true and kind and joyous and peaceful right down the road. We just need to help them to realize that there is so much good to live, living and to life. So instilling hope in kids is not a Pollyannic, most of you are too young to even know what I'm talking about with that, but this kind of pie in the sky or these quick little answers, all the bumper stickers or the things you put on your wall, the cute little quotes, no, it's authentic, true hope through stories that you help them to see where they've experienced joy and peace in the past and stories that you have as you come alongside. Where's their hope? Help them to know that in community and in being who they are, they have hope. These five things, acknowledge pain, violence, and cultural incongruity. Secondly, cultivate authentic presence. Thirdly, train, not shame. Fourth, foster a sense of purpose. And five, instill hope. And uh, if you're a person of faith, this will be a familiar passage from the Christian and Jewish scriptures from Psalm chapter 40. If you're not a person of faith, this is a, this is a cry. A cry of an ancient people that believe their there is hope out there, and it's because there's a God that cares. So wherever you are on that spectrum, I just want to leave you with the encouragement and hope of Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God. 
Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And of course, that fear is an awesome reverence. Many will see see and reverence the Lord and put their trust in him. Because he turned to me and heard my cry. The psalmist speaks in Psalm 40. It's in the Old Testament. That's who we are, young people, too. We We are God's instrument. We are the instrument of the divine. We are the agent to help a young person realize that they also have the capacity and the power for great things, for great love, for deep, authentic belonging. This is National Suicide Prevention Month, and we as adults, we have very little more important in our lives than we recognize that young people need us. So thanks for listening to Parenting. I'm Dr. Jap Clark, and this is where we explore the interaction of family, culture, and faith on behalf of kids. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.